You are listening to a podcast from Providence Reformed Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to more of our sermons, please visit our website at providencewi.org. Will you open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53? And we're going to jump away from Isaiah 53, and and it will be up to you whether you follow along or not. but we'll be camping in Isaiah chapter 53 today. In Isaiah chapter 53, uh, you understand that the ministry of Isaiah went over a lot of years. He was the pastor to kings of Judah for quite a while. And it started when one of the most effective and godly kings died, uh, Uzziah died and this was when Isaiah got a vision of God and and all of his holiness and his beauty. Isaiah saw God as he was and that's the point which God said now I'm going to send you and he sent Isaiah uh, through some dark years to carry some dark messages for the people but in the middle of all of that there was still hope. So I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We're going to pray and then we're going to start uh, talking about something better than a shadow and the, the love of Jesus for his people. We'll pray. So our Father, we need so much to hear from you this day. We are people who live largely in darkness apart from what you show us. We like to think that we have all the answers or that we can find answers in, in solutions that everyone but you offers. Thank you that even though sometimes we don't like your estimation of things, you never lie. You are always faithful. Thank you that you, you were faithful to your promises of sending someone to rescue us from the mess that we're in. We praise you that this story of Christmas is the story, as the little children could say, the story of Jesus and why he came. So instruct us, we pray, in your son's name, amen. So in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and that is where I'm going to start right now, in the Gospel of Luke chapter two, you have the record of Joseph and Mary because they believed the scriptures and they wanted to obey the scriptures Joseph and Mary, after baby Jesus was born, and this would, be, would have been a long time before the Magi came, what we call the wise men came with gifts for the baby. Jesus was presented in the temple 
And my guess is some of you have already heard some of this text, partly because I've, I've read some of this already. But I'm going to read a little bit from Luke chapter 2. Starting at verse 21, when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And when he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I can imagine... At that point in time, Joseph and Mary were overwhelmed with the joy that this, this really, the things that the angels were talking about, the fact that these shepherds had come in and are worshiping their baby, the fact that the angel had appeared to Mary personally, to Joseph in a dream saying, this is the savior. You two need a savior. The world needs a savior. This is the savior. And yet, they were blind to what was really going to happen. Even though God had spoken in a lot of these shadows, God had explained what kind of a king this would be. Most of the people thought, including a lot of Jesus' disciples, thought this is, this is the way it's going to fall together. He's going to rule and we have an inside spot here because he's not only going to be the ruler, he's going to need people to rule alongside him. Rome is going to be overthrown and they really believed, didn't believe the gospel because this, they didn't understand what the gospel would be. But they did believe that something powerful and wonderful was going to happen and this is what Joseph and Mary are hearing right here. Look, this man Simeon is praying, he's an old man, he's <clears throat> speaking prophetically. The light is here, the light is in our midst. The glory of Israel is right here. And that's why verse 33 tells us his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Now, this, this is where the message might have gotten a little bit disturbing. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Opposed? opposed, who could stand against him? Not only do you look at him, this is, a, this is a beautiful baby. People are worshiping him. What do you mean opposed? A sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Swords, piercings, opposition. How can this be? So I take you in your mind's Back to Peter. Jesus took Peter and the other apostles up north. 
We live in a place they call up north, and, and up north was where Dan, a city called Dan, or Caesarea Philippi, or Peneus. It went by a lot of different names. Way up in the north, the headwaters of the Jordan River, to this place where men honored themselves by the names of the city, by the names that the city was given. Uh, men honored pagan deities, men honored other men. And it was at this place, Matthew 16 records this, Jesus looked at Peter and the rest of the apostles and said, who do men say that I am? Well, some people said this and some people said that and the apostles just gave the report. Here's what we're hearing about you. Here's what we're hearing about you. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And a lot of you who've read your Bible understand that this is where Peter gave his confession of faith. That, that is, well, it, it's, it's what has caused some, one, one major world religion to say that Peter was the first leader of their denomination. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're Messiah. You're the promised one. You are the fulfillment of the shadow. And it's true. It's true. In fact, Jesus said, Peter, you didn't just come up with that on your own. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I'm sure at that point, I mean, have you ever been in a position, believer, where God, just, God used you? You opened your mouth and you realize, I'm not carrying my own message. I'm speaking truth. And people are going, oh, that's right. God, God just used you. And so here is Jesus saying, Peter, my father revealed that to you. You're right, spot on, Peter. You got it. I am the fulfillment of the shadow. Here's where the trouble came in. It was at that location that the Lord Jesus chose the, for the first time to reveal what was going to happen. And that is, he actually detailed that he would be crucified, that he would be betrayed, turned over to the religious leaders, crucified, and he even predicted the resurrection. And the text in Matthew 16 says that, that Peter drew Jesus aside. Can you imagine? Things aren't going your way. You, it doesn't fit. The things going on in your life or the things that you're hearing just don't fit your conception of the way things ought to be. And so what you do is you draw the king of the universe, the creator aside and say, hey, you're messed up. That's basically what Peter did. He began to rebuke him. He physically drew Jesus away from the rest of the group and he tore into him. Said, "This no, this isn't going to happen, Lord. Because it didn't fit his picture of the way Jesus was going to redeem his people. He saw the shadow. He rejoiced in the shadow. He thought he had things all in order. But the Jesus... He had as an image in his mind, the king, the redeemer, Messiah that he had in his mind wasn't, wasn't the one that fit the story that the true king was giving as he spoke now. We're still in introduction here, but I, I, I want to, to give you a, a statement from John Piper. 50 reasons James, Jesus came to die. And I'm going to fly through these. If, if you want these emailed to you later, talk to me, email me, and uh, I can send these to you. There was actually a book written that, that details these. So this isn't, this isn't a 50-point outline today. But I do want you to understand that the, the cross of Christ was not something that it's like, well, things didn't go well in the mission of Jesus, and so they went and killed him. This isn't it at all. This is the hope of the story, 
This is why Simeon, while he's delighting that the promise is being fulfilled, the Spirit revealed to Simeon that there was going to be pain and difficulty. If you are ever at a place in your life when you're saying, why are these things happening? The problem of pain is is a legitimate question that unbelievers, that atheists and agnostics ask. If there is a God, and if this is a God of love, why in the world would suffering be a part of the plan? Either he doesn't care, even though he could do something, or he's just not powerful enough, even though he does care, and his arm's short, and he's weak. Isaiah understood the story, at least the spirit through Isaiah told us the story. Simeon understood that the cross would come before the crown, at least suffering, that this one came to be the servant of his people, and that, that it was through the suffering that God was going to do his greatest work. So we'll go through these quickly. Jesus came to die to absorb the, absorb the wrath of God, He came to please his heavenly father. He came to die to learn obedience and be perfected, to achieve his own resurrection from the dead, to show the wealth of God's love and grace for sinners, to show his own love for us, to cancel the legal demands of the law against us, to become a ransom for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to die to provide the basis for our justification to complete the obedience that becomes our righteousness, believer, to take away our condemnation, to abolish circumcision and all rituals as the basis of salvation, to bring us to faith and keep us faithful, to make us holy, blameless, and perfect. Jesus came to die to give us a clear conscience, to obtain for us all things that are good for us, to heal us from moral and physical sickness, to give eternal life to all who believe on him, to deliver us from the present evil age, to reconcile us to God, to bring us to God so that we might belong to him, to give us confident access to the holiest place, to become for us the place where we meet God. Jesus came to die to bring the Old Testament priesthood to an end, to become a sympathetic and helpful priest, to free us from the futility of our ancestry, to free us from the slavery of sin. And that's a continuation that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He came to die so that we would die to the law and bear fruit for God. He came to die to enable us to live for Christ and not ourselves, to make his cross the ground of all our boasting to enable us to live by faith in him. Jesus came to die to give marriage its deepest meaning, not the other way around. Jesus came to die to create a people passionate for good works, to call us to follow his example of lowliness, to create a band of crucified followers, to free us from bondage to the fear of death. And again, that's a continuation so that we would be with him immediately after death to secure our our own resurrection from the dead. Jesus came to die to disarm the rulers and authorities, to unleash the power of God and the gospel, to destroy the hostility between races, to ransom people from every tribe and language, to gather his own sheep from all around the world, to rescue us from final judgment, to gain his joy and ours, 
He died so that he would be crowned with glory and honor. He died to show that the worst evil is meant by God for good. And so you go back to Simeon's words. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Psalm 22 is one that David wrote. It's hard for us to understand how the piercing, the, the suffering could be a part of God's redemptive plan. Couldn't he just wink and say, you guys, yeah, you've, you've, you've messed up, but, but come on in. Wouldn't that be a better way of handling things? Wouldn't that demonstrate love rather than this wrath being poured out on the only sinless one who ever lived? It is a legitimate question to, to, to ask why do bad things happen to good people? And there are, from our perspective, lots of good people around us, believing and unbelieving alike. We have a lot of good people around us, but from God's perspective, there are no good people. From God's perspective, there's no one good enough to, to commend themselves to him. And as a man we remember this past week, a, 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 one of the probably five biggest influence on influences on my ability to see God as the center of everything. R.C. Sproul went to heaven this past week. And uh, his son who learned at his feet, uh, R.C. Sproul Jr., uh, said this in, in response to that question, why do bad things happen to good people? He said, you know, that really only happened once in all of history. And he volunteered. Simeon spoke prophetically because he had read the scriptures. He had been looking and he had been searching and he had read Isaiah 53 and he had read Psalm 22 where David says, and there certainly was an immediate fulfillment in David's life because he had plenty of enemies. But David said, dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones they look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them and from my clothing they cast lots. And that psalm, Psalm 22, we've used on Good Friday a time or two through the years, starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you far off? It's probable the Lord Jesus hanging on, on the cross is reciting or singing Psalm 22, realizing this is the fulfillment. This is why I came. And so 700 years earlier, Isaiah starts out saying, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. He's, he's the sin bearer. When you read later here, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see this burying, bearing, this carrying. There's something that he came to do. We don't really like the idea of servitude we certainly would rightly oppose slavery and human trafficking in our culture because we find it, and rightly so, distasteful that one human being would own another and would abuse them and say, you belong to me. We would say as Christians, we're created in the image of God. And that means even the nasty people in your life 
Created in the image of God, we don't have a responsibility to abuse them. We have a responsibility to, to treat them as someone created in the image of God, even if we do have to speak harsh truth to them. The Lord Jesus is pictured here as a servant. Servants do what they must do for the ones they serve. That's why it's very difficult for us to see the Lord Jesus as the one who is carrying sins, who is being the servant. That's why it was so difficult for Peter and the rest of the apostles to see the Lord Jesus get up at that last supper and take his outer garment off and wrap a towel around himself and get on his knees and start washing the dirty feet of everyone, including Judas Iscariot. We don't get that. I mean, we get, we get loving and serving people who have our last name. We get, I mean, you've got, you've got children, you are running ragged this time of year because there are programs and recitals and there are piano lessons and dance lessons and big events and sports and all the things and you run them and, and you say, how are you doing? Somebody asks, how are you doing? I say, well, you know, we're just busy and we're getting ready for the holiday. But there's, there's a delight in that because it's like it's your kids, and you're willing to do that because you love them. You serve them. And even some of the unpleasant things, it's like, well, what if the kids are like totally ungrateful and they rip open their Christmas presents and dump it out and say, aw. But you still love them and you serve them and you might discipline them, but you still love them and serve them. But put it into a different circumstance. You say, how are things going? You know, you're pretty busy? Yeah, I'm pretty busy. Uh, the neighbor kids, <laughs> The neighbor kids have dance lessons and uh, concerts that we've been going to and sporting, we've been hauling them all over the place to sporting events. We had to drive 200 miles for a, for a competition, an athletic competition. But you know, it's the neighbor kids. We love them. That's not something we normally hear because it's the neighbor kids. And then if you say, yeah, and they're really ungrateful, they never say thank you. In fact, they complain because I didn't do more for them. I say, wow, <laughs> there's, there's the love and commitment to the neighbor kids. And then there's, how are things going? It's like, well, going, going pretty well, just really, really busy. What have you been doing? What's keeping you busy? Well, you know, there's this guy who's been trying to kill me. And his, his kids are just, there's a lot going on in their family. And so he asked us if we'd help out taking the kids to sporting events. So we don't understand what love looks like because we think love's like loving people who are the same color as me, who speak the same language as me, who vote the same as me. And man, I can love somebody like that, especially if they have my last name. When you picture the Lord Jesus bearing grief, when you picture this as the fulfillment of the mission, you begin to understand Christmas is a sweet thing because this is the incarnation of God the Son taking on a human body, and that's if you're able to be here at four o'clock this afternoon. What's the big deal about the virgin birth? And we'll, we'll talk about that. Why, why do we even make a big deal about Virgin Mary? As one Baptist acquaintance of mine said years ago, he said, it really is non-essential. Well, I, I don't believe that. Isaiah said he bore our griefs. He, he spoke it uh, as if it had already happened. Our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In fact, if you look a little bit earlier, if you have your Bible open to Isaiah 53 still, there's this statement that Isaiah makes about Jesus' appearance. What did Jesus look like? 
And I'll give you this, he didn't look like a European guy. Uh, but we don't know. We don't really know what Jesus looked like, even though the paintings show him with a certain length of hair and a, a certain color of skin. We really don't know. I mean, very Hebrew, I'm sure, and probably in keeping with the way people kept their hair in those days. But was he good looking? I shared with you a few weeks ago, a, a bodybuilding friend of mine said he thought Jesus was probably just ripped because he's perfect son of God. No, not at all. Not, that's not perfection. That may be fitness. That's not perfection. He's weak, he is frail, he humbled himself. I'll read a little bit more from Isaiah's account. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. Some of you have seen this, where it's, it's like this earthquake in the desert, there's just cracked mud. How could anything possibly grow there? And yet here's, here's something coming up out of, the middle, out of the middle of that. There's a sweetness in that, not because the plant is so lovely or the surroundings are so lovely. It's just an unlikely place. Like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we would, should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Do we love Jesus because we feel sorry for him? Do we love Jesus because he was good looking? Because he was athletic? Is that really the image of Jesus? Well, it probably wasn't far from the picture that some of the disciples had. And so it came as a big surprise to pretty much everybody that after feeding the multitudes and the, the crowd gets together and they, they form an ad hoc committee and says, hey, let's make him king. Let's force him to be king. What more would we want? Healthcare plan, he's been healing. He's a communicator. What, what an education set up that we would have with him as our leader. And, and above all else, he, he's going to feed us. He's going to take care of us, cradle of the grave. Why would the Lord Jesus sneak out of the middle of that kind of talk? He wasn't what the people wanted. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised. And forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Because the Jesus of the Bible, the creator of everything, is probably not the one that you would look for. This is the point. Joseph and Mary didn't quite get it. Peter didn't quite get it. <laughs> Judas James and John, they just didn't quite get it. But Isaiah gives us this story and uses that word pierced. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging, we are healed. And I just want to point out some of the negative words in there. Pierced, crushed, chastening, scourging, that's his part of this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes the piercing, the crushing, the, the chastening, the scourging and exchange for all who believe. He lives this perfect life and dies for sinners. He takes their transgressions. That word iniquities is so often used in the Old Testament of out and out rebellion. 
Have you ever done this? You say, yep, here's, here's coloring in the lines. Here's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I am creative and I am gonna do what I want to do. That's, that's iniquities. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's, that's what this text tells us iniquities are. It was our iniquities that brought him this crushing. The chastening for our, our well-being. And I, I don't believe that, that the promise of immediate short-term in this lifetime physical healing is the promise of the gospel. But there's something bigger than that. This healing, this well-being it came because Jesus died on the cross. And so as we're looking at what this demands of you and me, as we're going into the celebration and just enjoy it, relish the, the time that you spend with, with family if you're going to be able to do that, even if, even if circumstances are tense, even if there's an elephant in the room to realize, you know even if I have a really, really messed up family, I am seeing this is why Jesus came. Even if you're made aware of your own sinfulness more than ever, maybe when you're around the people you've sinned against the most, and you're saying, this is it. We're given these gifts, and I don't care what everybody else thinks about this. It's like, oh, God, just what I wanted, or disappointed because I didn't get what I wanted. I'm seeing this is, this is a picture of the one who came the birth of Christ demands the death of Christ. We've learned here that the Redeemer came as a servant. We look at that as a bad thing. The Father looks at that as the only thing. He came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life a ransom for many. The mission of the servant had to include death. It had to. It had to. You can only die if you have a physical body. That's why when we talk about incarnation, Jesus took on flesh. This is not some angelic being, some created being who came on, on some sort of a mystical mission or even somebody who died to, to show us that we should really believe in what we believe in. He came physically to take the place of everyone who would believe the birth of Christ demands the death of Christ and the death of Christ makes demands on us sinners. That's why Paul could talk to a whole bunch of pagans who had never looked at a verse from Isaiah and he could stand in front of them and say that God calls all men everywhere to repent. One demand that the death of Christ who took on flesh makes on sinners is that you have to see the ugliness of what Jesus carried. We like beauty because God created us to appreciate beauty. And yet, so often the lessons we learn in this world come from seeing the ugliness in ourselves, the ugliness around us, the dark black backdrop points us to the light of the world you must see this crushing as an act of God. Where was God when that horrible thing happened to me? Same place he was when he crushed his son. It pleased him, the scripture says, to crush his son. How can that be? Why would he be pleased with this ultimate act of injustice? It's because he works his plan. He works his plan and and he realizes 
in his holy character that the wages of sin is death. This crushing is an act of God. And sinner, your responsibility is to see your need to turn from your sins, to receive his righteousness. Can you imagine living with someone who was sinless? Some of you may have grown up with people in your house who thought they were sinless, and that would be very difficult too. But you, you look at the other siblings that Jesus had. This is a big family when you read scripture. Mary and Joseph had a bunch of other children, and we, we read some of their names and some things about them. There were boys and there were girls. You read that even after Jesus started his ministry when he was around 30 years old, the Bible says his brothers still didn't believe in him. They were pushing him to saying, well, we know you're special. Why don't you show yourself? Show off, Jesus. He grew up in that setting. Certainly endured much from his little brothers and possibly his little sisters. And for that matter, at one point, even Mary, we assume Joseph had died. Uh, at one point, Mary, even uh, along with his brothers, were going and they wanted to take him into custody because it, it seemed that he was going off the deep end and his schedule was crazy and they wanted to take him away from the busyness. The death of Christ makes a demand on you you need to see your, your need to turn from your sins and receive his perfect righteousness. He's the only one. He's the only one who was ever good. He took on flesh to die for sinners. Turn to him. Beg him to let you in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for not allowing us to stay in the dark when it comes to hearing from you. Old Simeon had revelation from you and we have much more than Simeon ever had. So turn us to your son. Make every moment of this celebration, whether it's a, a pleasant time with family or, or unpleasant reminders of the past, bring us to delight in the rescuer from, from our sins. Show us that hope in your son's name. Amen.